Open our Bibles, if you will, to the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter. Two weeks ago, we began a series of messages called Faith Is. Faith Is. Taking our cue from the very first verse of Hebrews 11, which says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Let me read that again. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I wanted to do a little refresher on this great subject. It has, uh, this subject, the subject of faith, studying this for decades now, has changed my life. It certainly changed our church. It has changed so many people who have taken hold of these truths. It takes Christianity from something that is rather, uh, what's the word, um, emotional only, just a kind of feeling type thing, uh, a religious only atmosphere, to a very real, working, operative producing relationship with God. When you think about it, it just doesn't even make sense to think that you could actually come to know the God who created the universe and not be changed. How could that be possible? How could you know Jesus and stay the same? You can't. How could you get yourself involved with his word and, and stay the same. The word that created the universe in the beginning, the word of God that details for us the provisions of covenant, the word that tells us about our redemption, about our position in Christ and our possessions in Christ. You can't get into that, live in that area, and not be changed. And so I can testify tonight that certainly these truths have changed my life, and I'm still learning I don't know all there is to know about this, and I'd, I'm not coming to you tonight from that standpoint of saying, you know, if you just knew what I knew, then you'd be just great. I, I, that's not how I mean this. I am learning and growing, and so as we do, we want to share that information with you. So faith is, number one, in this verse we see, faith is substance. We covered this in the last session. Faith is a spiritual substance, but no less substance. We don't see it with our eyes. We don't feel it with our fingers. We don't taste it with our tongue. We, we don't uh, uh, perceive it with our senses at all, but it is a very real, and I might add very powerful, spiritual substance. Another way of saying it would be it is a heavenly materiality. So in the realm of the Spirit, which is the eternal realm, the realm that is outside of time, the realm that, when I say outside of time, I mean by that that time has no real boundaries there. Time governs us here on the earth, but time really doesn't mean much in the spiritual dimension. And also, the spiritual dimension is the eternal dimension. It's outside of time, as I say. And then it also is the dimension beyond the natural. We're here because of spiritual laws. We're here because God, who is a spirit, John 4, 24, created all natural things. So everything we can see and everything we can feel and everything our senses perceive came into existence because a spiritual being spoke words and these things came into existence. Now, you might say that seems like a tall order to ask people believe, to believe, but the same chapter, Hebrews 11, verse 6, actually addresses that and says, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. That's talking about pleasing God. You can't bring any pleasure to God without faith. For he who comes to God must believe. And then he tells us the two things we have to believe. No compromise here. You can't substitute anything else for it. These are must-haves. 
must believe, number one, that he is, that there is a God. That means you've got to believe what I said about John 4, 24, that he is a spiritual being. You haven't seen him with your eyes physically. You haven't touched him physically, but you know that he is real. You believe that he is. And then also it says, and that he is a rewarder. You're the better for doing what? Rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So there is a reward for diligently seeking God. I know that it sounds very religious and very pious to say, well, you know, God is so wonderful and so good, and he's done so much for me already. I just couldn't ask him for anything else, and I don't really seek God for what I can get. I don't really, I'm not really concerned about that. Well, you know, God will forgive you for lying. Just don't keep it up. Don't keep doing it. Just be honest. There are a lot of things from God we need. A lot of things from God that we desire that are good and godly things. I don't know how all of this religious mess came about to put piety up on the same level with poverty and piety on the same level with disease and sickness and piety on the same level with the curse, basically. But that's not the Bible. God is a rewarder. If you walk with God, if you love God, if you know God, and if you obey God, you can't help but be rewarded. And our rewards are not just over on the other side. There are wonderful rewards waiting, and heaven is real, and heaven is wonderful. But all the rewards are not over there. When when the writer wrote this particular verse by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he didn't say he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him after they die. No, he's a rewarder now and forever, praise the Lord. So faith becomes something very, very important to us. Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty two, have the faith of God or have faith in God. So it really was put to us as an imperative. We, we really are supposed to have it. Now, God would be unjust. Jesus would have been unjust to tell us to have something if it wasn't available. But thank God it is available. And how is it made available to us? Through the hearing of his word. You don't even have to, you don't even have to technically be able to even read. If you can hear the word of God, you can grasp it and you choose to believe it because believing is a choice. That's something we'll get into a little more as we go along. But if you choose to believe what you hear from the Word of God, then faith begins to come into your heart. And when faith comes into your heart and you act on it, because you see faith without corresponding actions is dead. It'd be kind of like, for instance, you have a brand new battery, a Duracell, the best of the best. It's, it's brand new. It's relatively fresh as far as its manufacture date. It has its full power that it says it has in that battery, but you never put it in anything. You never connect it to anything to make a demand on that power. Then guess what? You're going to do without and a lot of people are doing without the blessings of God and, and the things that His power will produce because they don't make the connection. Faith is the connection between your need or your desire and God's power to meet the need and to grant your desire. The connection between is your faith. This spiritual substance that causes you to receive from the Lord, this heavenly materiality. It is not obvious to the natural eye, but it is obvious in the spiritual dimension. And we've, we went to Mark chapter 2 and verse 5 talking about Jesus seeing the faith of the man who was let down through the ceiling, through the roof of the house by his four friends. Jesus saw their faith. What did he really see? Well, he saw their faith. But he saw their faith through the manifestation of what their faith did. 
Faith is an act. Faith is more than words. It's more than just a confession, even though that's involved. Faith is an act. Those things you are willing to act on based on the Word of God, those are the things you really believe. All the other things you're just thinking about. You maybe are trying to decide, do I really want to go that far? Do I want to be a, quote, fanatic and move into that realm and step out with my faith? Well, until you decide to do it, you don't fully believe it. In Acts 14, we looked at Paul perceiving that the lame man at the place called Lystra had faith to be healed. Well, he didn't see it because the man had faith in his hands and there was some glowing substance in his hand, looked like a, a rock, you know, or something that was just glowing. And Paul said, well, I see, that's faith. I guess he can be healed. No, that's not how it happened. In the spiritual dimension, there was a perception. And here's something that I want you to, to really not forget Faith is obvious in the spiritual realm, meaning that all those who are in that realm who dwell and live there, and what I mean is they're there, they're there full time. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the angels of God, demons and devils, Satan himself, in that realm when people are, when, when, when uh, beings are in that realm, then they can see faith. I don't know exactly how they perceive it spiritually. I don't mean that, you know, that they're seeing it like we see things with a natural eye, but they know it's there. And that's important to understand because that means the devil knows when you are in faith and when you're just trying to be in faith. He knows when you truly believe. In other words, he knows who to mess with. Now, he tries all of us, but when he finds an opening, when he finds someone who cooperates with him, then he just pours it on. Part of walking by faith is shutting the door on the devil. It's stopping him in his tracks, keeping him out of your life. Faith is an essential in that regard. You're not going to stop the devil without faith. And you're not going to please God without faith. And you're not going to receive the rewards of God without faith. So that makes this very, very important. So I want to know, what is this spiritual substance? I want to know what this is. What does it cause? What does it do in my life? How do I know when I'm there? What, what are the, 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 the symptoms, if you will, the, the signs that I'm in faith? So that's why we're teaching about this. It's so important. Now, notice that the verse said, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. Hope is important. Hope is future. Hope is the goal. Hope is uh, where we're wanting to go, what we're wanting to be. And I've used that thermostat example before, how that, you know, you set it for uh, whatever you want your room temperature to be. And then the power that's involved with your AC unit or your heating unit or whatever it is, it goes to work to get the room at the temperature you want. Now, that thermostat is an example of hope. You know, you come into a room and it's 75 degrees. And, you know, we all differ on these areas, but as far as I'm concerned, that's way too hot. And so we put it somewhere else. We put it down much lower to get comfortable. Amen. And, uh, you know, it, see, it just, <laughs> praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. That was really nice. But, uh, <laughs> but you see, that, that is hope. I want it to be, let's say, 70 degrees. I want it to be there. And so there has to be a release of power. There has to be a process that gets me there in the natural. Well, that's much the same way that faith works. Hope is future. Now listen carefully to what I'm going to say. Hope is future needing faith to give it hope substance. Our verse again. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Faith is future. I'm sorry. Hope is future 
needing faith to give it substance. If, if faith doesn't come along to give substance to our hope, then hope is m- nothing much more than a wish. You ever, have you ever heard people talk about what they wish for, what they'd like to have? And, and when they're talking, you know that they're not going to get it because they're too lazy or too undisciplined or they don't know what they need to know and they're not willing to take the time to learn what they need to know. I mean, there's a lot of things. I'm not trying to be negative and mean about it. But uh, there's times when people wish for things and, and there's just no chance until something major changes in their life that it's ever going to happen. And so for them, it's always just a hope. I hope. I wish. You see, even natural hope needs substance to to make even natural things come to pass. How much more spiritual truths, covenant realities, redemptive rights need faith in order to give substance to our hope? Faith is always based on what God's Word says that I have or that I can have now. And the key word is now. Let's all say now. That's what time it is in the spiritual dimension. It's never yesterday. It's never tomorrow. It's never in a little while. It's never sooner or later. It's always now. If you were to be transported to heaven right now and you were to be able to stay there for 30 seconds and your assignment was when you went to heaven, ask them what time it is. You know they're not going to tell you it's 2022. They're not going to tell you that it's the month of June. You know what they're going to say when you ask them, what time is it up here? They're going to say, now. And no matter how many times you ask them that question, it's always going to be the same answer. It's now. In the spiritual dimension, the past is filed away. It's gone. In the spiritual dimension, it's now. And even those things that we would hope for those things we would desire, there is something about the now that will cause that to happen. If there's not anything, listen carefully, if nothing's going on in the now, that future will not happen. That thing you hope for, that thing you desire, even that thing you need, it's not going to happen if faith's not moving and operating in the now. Faith is always based on what God's Word says because Romans 10, 17 says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So faith is always based on what God's Word says. Faith begins where the will of God is known. F.F. Bosworth wrote that statement in his book, Christ the Healer, that was published in 1924, almost 100 years ago. He made that statement. It's still good today. Faith begins where the will of God is known. Faith is always based on what God's word or God's will says I can do or what God's word says I can have or what God's word says that I, I can operate in. And the key to faith is to receive now. Too many faith people are always waiting on something. They're waiting on, quote, the manifestation. They're waiting on change that happens here or there because they, in their mind they're thinking, that change has to happen for me to get what I'm praying for. Well, it may actually need to happen for you to get what you're praying for. But if you're waiting until that change happens before you can say, I receive, then you're not in faith. If you're waiting till every symptom leaves your body before you say, I receive healing, then you're not going to receive healing. Because it will always be put away into the future because it's a matter of hope. Faith says, it's mine. I have it now. It's mine. I have it now. One of the things I've learned is that I cannot look at the Bible, let's say, for instance, in the area of healing, because that's something very fresh in my mind. But I realized, and I do realize, that healing cannot be something I'm going to get. I cannot wait on a doctor to tell me I'm healed. 
I can't wait on somebody else to tell me I look better. And by the way, they, they don't say that much. But and I, I, can't, I can't wait on somebody else to tell me that there is some natural test result or whatever that that tells me now I'm healed. I can't wait on a feeling that I feel better. I can only, by faith, receive divine healing when I believe the Word of God and believing is always now. Just like what time it is in heaven, that's where the Word has come from. The Bible, unlike any other book in the world, is a right now Word. Jesus said in John 6, 63, that His Word was spirit and life. What does that mean? Well, he said his words are spiritual. They have, spirit, they have a spiritual quality, meaning they are from the eternal realm. They are from the supernatural realm. And they are life. So the Word of God does something that no magazine will do, no other group of words or textbook or anything else will do. The Word of God has the power to bring life to you. Psalm 1720 says, He sent His Word and healed them and delivered them from their destructions. There's healing in the Word of God. There's power in the Word of God. But, it, but if you and I mistakenly, and I'm not saying people are devious about it, we just didn't know or we don't know if that, whatever the case may be. If we always keep this thing somewhere out there and we're always waiting on a feeling or waiting on a report of some sort to tell us that it's ours and then we know we've got it, that is not faith. How many times have you heard people say, and I'm not, and please, I know that what I'm getting ready to say, somebody could be offended about it. But I have to tell you the truth. Because I, I, I'm here to help you. I'm not here to, 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 to do anything but to help you and try to be a blessing to you. But how many, many times have we heard somebody say, I'm getting ready to go for some tests. I'm getting ready to go to the doctor. Just pray that I'll have a good report. My brother and sister, this is your good report. You're not going to get one next Tuesday at 11 a.m., you're gonna, you, you've got one right now. I'm not saying don't go have the test. I, I don't know what the doctor may say or may not say. That's not the issue that I'm dealing with here. I'm saying that I already have a good report. The Word says I'm healed. I've told this story a number of times. It's a wonderful testimony that Miss Becky Fender who wrote a song that was very popular a few years back. Probably some of you might have heard it. Some of you probably younger folks don't remember it. You, you maybe weren't around when it was written. But it was a song, Whose Report Will You Believe? It's kind of a call and response type song. And Whose Report Will You Believe? The congregation returns and responds, We will believe the report of the Lord. And then that's repeated two or three times. Then, then it goes into this, this, uh, this segment. His report says, I am healed. His report says, I am filled. His report says, I am free. His report says, victory. And of course, you're building as you sing that, and it's a very exciting, it's a good song. Maybe we should learn that one. Anyway, the backstory behind that is how that song came about. She was looking in the mirror at herself, and the devil told her, that cancer on your face, I'm going to kill you with it. And then that question was put to her by the Holy Ghost because the doctor's report was one thing. The Bible was the good report, another thing. And she had to determine, whose report will you believe? And she responded, I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. Well... She's alive, unless she's gone to be with the Lord recently. Last I knew, she lived. The devil did not kill her. And all of us got blessed with a great song in the process. You know, the thing about the devil is, 
Everything he does to try to steal, kill, and destroy, every temptation, every test and trial he brings into your life is a gamble for him. He doesn't know the future in every capacity. He's not God. He's not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. And so when he comes with these things, he's, he's gambling. He's a gambler. And he's gambling that he is going to kill you. He's gambling that you are going to lose. He's gambling that you're going to give up. You're going to quit. And he's going to roll you over like maybe he's done before in some of our lives, and all of our lives to some degree probably. And so he gambles. And you have to make a believer out of him. But you'll never make a believer out of the devil until you are a believer. You'll never make him believe that you know that you're healed until you know that you're healed. And one of the things about faith is it's all based on what you know from the Word of God. Every new level of faith comes from a new level of revelation. And that's why we always want to keep coming back to the Word over and over and over again because it may be the 50th time you read that passage and those three verses this time jump out at you and you see something you've never seen before. That's the way the Word of God is because, as I said earlier, it's a living Word. It's alive. And it's pregnant. It is constantly giving birth to new revelation for us. Now that revelation is not new to God, and I don't mean it's uh, some weird thing out here in left field, but I mean it's just the simple Word of God, what God's known all along, but my little peanut brain just hasn't gotten it until just now maybe. And one of those kind of revelations, one word from God like that, can change the rest of your life. The rest of your life. And I can tell you one of the most important revelations you'll ever get where your healing is concerned is to make sure that you understand beyond any shadow of doubt that healing was provided for you in the redemptive work of the cross. Because if you know that you know that you know that Jesus took your sicknesses and diseases on the same cross when he took your sins, then you also come to know that you are as healed in the mind of God, as you are saved. If you think you're going to heaven, if, let me say it another way, if you know you're going to heaven, then you should have the same knowledge and the same assurance that you're healed. And that's when your body has to turn around and start acting like it. And I, I'm going to tell you... Uh, for people that have been in church a long time, Pentecostal people, Word of Faith people particularly, sometimes we've gotten off on some sidetrack things that's really keeping us from the simplicity of our faith. And one of those things, and I pointed this out before, but I've got to say it until, I'm, until the Holy Ghost is through with me saying it for this season. One of the things that we've done in the full gospel, Pentecostal, word of faith world is we've gotten this thing of I'm waiting on the manifestation. People say, I believe I'm healed, but I'm waiting on the manifestation. Well, I don't know. If you believe you're healed, why would you even say that? Why is that an issue? Any way the devil can get you to always think that it's future is just another sly way of him keeping you out of the arena of faith and only in the arena of hope. Hope is powerful. Hope is good. Hope is important. But it won't produce a miracle for you. Hope alone won't do it. Proverbs 13. Let's go there tonight. Proverbs chapter 13 in the Old Testament. And this is a passage when we get there. If you don't already know where I'm going, you'll, you'll recognize this. Most of you will. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 12. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That's where a lot of people are. They've heard truth. They want to believe it. It sounds so good. But they don't know how to grasp the promise of God by faith. They live in the arena of hope only. And there comes a point 
Everybody say a point. There comes a point in time. I don't know exactly how long that takes. I'm sure it's different with different situations and different people. But there comes a point where hope that gets deferred, it keeps getting put off and off. There comes a point out there somewhere that it makes the heart sick. And what happens is people are thinking, I guess it just isn't going to happen. I guess it isn't ever going to happen for me. And you know, this is what happens to people even... I've, I, I found this to be true is that uh, you, know, you can even hear a testimony that is valid. I mean, it's not some made-up something. It's not a Christian quote-unquote sideshow. But it's a real testimony of somebody that got a miracle. Somebody that used their faith and the power of God changed their life. And you can hear that and you can believe that that person is being honest. And they are being honest. And you can believe that God did it and God did do it. But you know what the devil will do to you? He'll say, but that's not going to happen for you. Yeah, he healed somebody like Miss Dodie Osteen, but you're not going to get it. You know, he raised up Brother Kenneth E. Hagin from a deathbed with all those incurable diseases and given a death sentence by more than one doctor that he would never live to be, you know, 20 years of age. And that nobody in his condition, one doctor told him medical science has any or any knowledge that they've lived past the, the age of 16 or 17. His grandfather uh, was prepared to send him to the Mayo Clinic but there was a doctor there in, in that area in Texas that had actually did some work at the Mayo Clinic. He knew what was up there. And he, in consulting on the case, told his grandfather, there's no need to send that boy up there. There's nothing can be done for him. Well, you know, we hear that story. Where many of us, you know, we were, we were mentored and blessed greatly by Brother Hagin. We hear that story, that testimony. And you can rejoice in it, but the devil will get right up in your ear and say, that's all well and good for him, but that's not going to happen for you. What do we do with that? How do we combat that? See, this is where the old tire commercial, the rubber meets the road. I think that was B.F. Goodrich. I don't know. But anyway, what do we do? Well, we got to come back here just like we're doing. That's what you got to do. You got to go to the Word until you are certain that if you were the only person on the earth that was sick with your particular problem, and I'm just using healing as an example. You could use it in other areas as well, certainly. You got to know that God is prepared to heal you and raise you up. you got to know that he loves you as much as he loved any of those other people whose names I've called tonight. Three people I've told you about, some remarkable testimonies of healing. And God did not love any of them more than he loves you. There's no promise they took hold of that hasn't been made to you concerning healing. When the leper in Matthew chapter 8 came to Jesus, he said, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. He had the theology that so many today have. God's able. God is able. How many times have you heard people say that? I don't know about you. You do whatever you want to do. But I, I usually stay away from that phrase. It's not because I don't believe it. I know God is able. But as a minister and speaking publicly, I try to stay away from that to some degree because I don't want people just to say that and stop. I mean, you know, I know this sounds kind of sarcastic, but that's my nature anyway, so I'll say it. If you've got half a brain, you know God's able. That's never been the issue. And that wasn't the issue in, in Mark, Matthew chapter 8 when the leper came to Jesus. If you will, you can make me clean. Jesus said, I will. Two words changed that man's life forever. I will be thou clean. So you see, it's not a matter of what God is able to do. It's a matter of what God wants to do. And it's a matter of what you and I receive. So Hebrew, I mean Proverbs Chapter 13, verse 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So, if, so it's, a, it's a real problem if we don't press through with our faith. 
And there are a lot of people there. And I've been there in my life. So I'm not, I'm not picking on anybody. But how do we move from this place? And notice what the last part of the verse says. But when the desire comes, when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. In other words, it's just such a wonderful thing, such a powerful thing, such a blessed thing. But here's what I want to say. The desire comes when faith is in operation. Hope alone won't do it. One of the reasons people's hope gets deferred is because they hear just enough of the Word of God to hear about the good blessings of God. Their hopes are aroused, and that's all good. But if they don't follow through with the operation and the action of real Bible faith, then those hopes will be deferred and deferred and deferred and deferred to a point where they just begin to be heartsick. And then, of course, when you get in that place... And if you've ever been there, you know what I'm talking about. The devil is a merciless cuss. He is absolutely a hateful, merciless adversary. And he'll jump up on your shoulder and tell you, you might as well give up. All that faith stuff, it doesn't work. And he'll try to bring situations to mind of when somebody didn't receive or somebody, you know, whatever happened to them, they died or whatever, try to tell you about this, that, or the other that happened to people. And by the way, since I said, mentioned that and opened that can of worms, I'll just say this. You don't know anybody like God knows them. People are going to die and, you're not gonna, and God's not going to come down in the night and tell you all the details. Some things are not our business. The secret thing belongs to the Lord. And I know that some people say, well, that's just a faith preacher's cop-out. But it's Bible. It's true. Deuteronomy 29, 29. And God's not going to tell me all your business or anybody else's business. And I don't, I don't always know. But I do know this. I've been doing this long enough to know that there have been numerous times that people have went on to be with the Lord and thank God they did. And all kinds of folks thought they were believing for healing. And then after it's all said and done, we realized they planned their funeral. They did all this stuff. They were never believing, really, they were going to live. They were hoping they were going to live. They were hoping maybe somebody was going to be operative in some gift of the Spirit that would, would cause them to get a miracle without them believing anything. And can I tell you something? If you are constantly sitting in a church like this, and you are constantly hearing faith teaching, you're responsible to use it. Amen. And, 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 and God can do whatever He wants to do, but for most Christians who aren't baby Christians, who are in a church where there is a flow of the Spirit and a flow of revelation knowledge of the Word, God expects those people to use their faith. And to exercise their faith. Amen. Well, thank you for your response to all of that. I'm just trying to tell you the truth. I'm trying to get down to the nitty gritty. I'm trying to get down to the place to tell you what works and what doesn't. The desire comes when faith is in operation. Let's say that together. The desire comes when faith is in operation. Say it one more time with me. The desire comes when faith is in operation. So that means I've got to know something about faith. And the first thing we want to know is that faith is a real spiritual substance. Number two, and I've, I see the clock, so... We're not going to finish all this tonight, but we'll get, we've got a few more minutes that we can, we can look at this. And we covered some of this last time, but I didn't get all done with these points. And so we have to come back and, and, uh, and get them done. Number two, faith is, that's our subject, faith is, faith is substance. And number two, faith is evidence or proof. It is the conviction or you being convinced. You know, that's what the word conviction is about. If someone goes to court, they're, they're hauled up before the court, they're charged with a crime, and the prosecutor makes the case against them that they're guilty, 
Their defense uh, attorney makes the case for them that they are innocent. And then it's a jury of their peers that is charged with deciding without favor or partiality based on the evidence. That's important. Based on the evidence that's been presented from both sides. They are to determine if that person is guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. And they are supposed to decide accordingly. And if, based on the evidence, the jury says they're guilty, then what do we say about that person? They are convicted. Now, up until that point, they've been charged. But it's not until the jury brings back a verdict that they are convicted. And when they're taken to prison and they're part of the prison population, we say they're an inmate, but what's another word, kind of maybe an old-fashioned word that was used? They're a convict. What, where does that come from? They've been convicted. So conviction means what you are certain of. What you know that you know that you know. Beyond a reasonable doubt. I like that phraseology because you know if you've tried to ever use your faith, if you've used your faith at all, you know that doubts will come to your mind. And it's really good to know that faith works in your heart even when there's doubt in your head. You say, well, how would I know the difference? That's why it's important to understand that you are a spirit. You have a soul. You live in a body. All these things are connected. All these things are connected. And your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. It's the soulish realm that the devil comes knocking on your door. It's your bodily realm that he'll try to knock on your door. Sometimes it's just a physical malfunction. It's sickness, we might say, only. Some kind of a disease only. Sometimes it's a spirit behind it. There are spirits of infirmity. They're spirits that produce certain physical manifestations. And you cannot read the Gospels without concluding that Jesus dealt with a number of spirits that produced physical problems. For us today to try to think that that's not a reality is to ignore the truth of the Word of God. Or for us to be so foolish as to say, well, uh, you know, because it's 2022 and we have smartphones and the internet, uh, demons don't exist. No, that's foolishness. And when you read in your Bible that, that a spirit of infirmity caused a woman to be bowed over, not able to straighten herself for 18 years... If you believe the Bible, you believe that's true. Jesus said, ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, be loosed from this infirmity? And when he laid hands on her, that spirit of infirmity loosed her. She was free of it, and she straightened up and she was healed. There were spirits that caused deafness, spirits that caused people to be mute. There were various manifestations of spirits that had to be dealt with. Not all demons cause people to do criminal activities. There is a cohort, a group, you might say, of demons. Their assignment from hell, from the devil, is to attack people physically. Amen. I am convinced in my mind, I'm as sure of it as I am of my name and my birth date and my social security number, that that's certainly what the devil tried to, take, tried to do to me. Well, I wasn't in sin. I wasn't backslidden. I wasn't, you know, on my way to hell. But I know that part of my deliverance was taking authority over a spirit of infirmity. And one of the things that happens with spirits of infirmity is chronic things that people seem to never be able to get rid of. 
in many cases you see in Scripture as well as in just practical observation when you begin to see these truths, you realize a lot of these kind of things are things that people can live with at least for a long period of time. But it affects their quality of life. It affects what they can do, what they can't do. It affects, you know, the, the quality, the goodness of life that they have. And so, man, I've really got off the track here, haven't I? But uh, how, do we, how do we come to the place where, where we would know? You have to spend time in the Word and in prayer. I want to say this before I go. I've got to say this because it'll bless you if you'll take hold of it. If you will do systematic studies of these kinds of things and you will, you will begin to study who you are in Christ and what you have in Christ and you will pray in the Holy Ghost if you'll spend some quality time, not two minutes a day, not 30 seconds here and 30 seconds there, not just when you're at the red light, but I mean spend some time before God praying in the Holy Ghost and opening the word to these kinds of truths, if there is a spiritual thing that needs to be dealt with, you'll know it. Because you cannot get in the presence of God through His word and through the, the operation of the Holy Ghost without God telling you what you need to do. He loves you too much not to tell you. But you probably won't get your revelation watching Jeopardy or Wheel of Fortune or whatever. Amen. There's nothing wrong with watching Jeopardy, nothing wrong with Wheel of Fortune, but there's no healing in it. I mean, <laughs> if a doctor tells you you've got a disease that is incurable or that will kill you or whatever, uh, I don't think you have time for that. And I found out I don't seem to hardly have time for it anyway. There's too many other things that are too important. That's how you gather your evidence. That's how you become convicted. Conviction is that which you're convinced of. If a million people, if, it, if that could be a reality, that a million people would walk by here, and all of them tell me, God is not a healer. Not a million people could talk me out of knowing that he is a healer. No matter what my body says, or let me say it this way, no matter how my body feels, no matter what my body does, no matter what it looks like, that will never convince me God is not a healer. I'm convinced of healing, not because of how I feel, and not even because of what someone else received, even though that testimony that they received has been a blessing and an encouragement to me. But I believe I'm healed because of what I know from the Word of God. I know it from the Word of God. And you might say, well, that just sounds like to me that it's a little bit of a process and, and maybe going to take some time and some effort on my part. You're getting the picture. It's amazing how people will spend hours to fix one meal. They'll, they'll spend all kinds of time cleaning a car, detailing their car, cleaning their house, working on their lawn, working on their flower beds, spend hours driving a trip to take a vacation at a destination where we want to be. Nothing wrong with any of that. But why in the world is it that people think it's so unreasonable that you might spend some quality time with an open Bible and, and seek God? Or that you might, you know, turn off some of the secular stuff and, and plug into some kind of media resource that thankfully we have today to let somebody teach you about divine healing or teach you how faith works? Why, do, why is it? I tell you, it's just, it's just so easy to be carnal, isn't it? But if you walk after the flesh, you'll die. And probably before your time. But if you will walk after the Spirit, you'll come to a place of life. So let me ask you this question tonight.
I see you guys up here. Thank you. Uh, what are you convinced of? What is your conviction? And you see, this is important because faith is our evidence. There is a period in a walk of faith where the only evidence you have, the only proof you have that what you are, what you are believing for is really yours right now, your faith's the only evidence you have. You can't produce anything in the natural that would show it. The only thing you can produce is my faith. And my faith is reflected in what I say. It's reflected in my actions. But my evidence is my faith. So evidence is proof. It's all we have. For a certain period of time, it will be all we have that proves what we're believing for is real and that it's ours. Now listen, I said to both those things, very important. Your faith is evidence that what you're believing for is actually real. In other words, you've got to be convinced that this really is mine. I really can be well. I really can be prosperous. I really can be debt-free. Whatever it is you're believing, I really can have a great marriage. Whatever you're using your faith for, this is your evidence. This is the only proof you have. You know, I know this sounds a little bit gross, but if you've ever lived out in the sticks, out in the woods, out in the country, uh, you've probably had to deal with mice. And we don't like that, but that's kind of a reality of living in the country. And you know, and again, I'm not trying to be crude, but I want you to get the, the idea of, of this. Sometimes you know that there's a, mice pro, a mouse problem or mice problems because they leave evidence. I don't have to say any more, do I? You didn't see the mouse, but you know there's a mouse around. That's evidence. That's how proof works. Now, flip that over to something good. Your faith is your evidence that what you're believing for is already yours. Nobody else is seeing it. There's no natural proof. But spiritually speaking, it's mine. I have it now. That's what Jesus was teaching us in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say unto you what things whoever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Matthew 21, 22, what things uh, soever you uh, ask in prayer, believing, you shall receive. And so we come to this conclusion, if we are not receiving, we're not believing. And that's a slap in the face sometimes to those of us especially that are what we would call word of faith believers. But the fact is we've got to, we've got to clear out all this underbrush and get down to business and really find out what believing is. Because believers are receivers. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. We've said a lot here tonight. And we must trust the Holy Spirit.